This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now here's your host, the professor, John Clayton. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Dave Grosby joining us at the bottom of the hour. And, of course, uh, we also can take your text questions on the uh, Mac and Jack's text line at 710-710. Let's go to Linda. Hey, Linda. John, I can't believe I'm actually talking to you. How are you this morning? Good, Linda. How are you? Excellent, excellent. I got so many questions, but I'll try to keep it short here, all right? No, go right ahead. Fire away. I'm obviously a transplant, and everyone can tell that uh, by the way I sound. But uh, I couldn't help but fall in love with these Seahawks out here. It is so hard not to love. And I, I witnessed the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm not sure what phase we're in right now, but I feel like we're in the good. Are we in the good right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, they won, they won 12 games last year. They had a bad offensive playoff game against the Rams last year, and that you know ruined, I guess you could say, the season. But, you know, it's a it's a 12-win team that's still very talented. It's I think it's a little better team. It's better on the offensive line. It's got a, a, another weapon or two. It's got Chris Carson back. Uh, you know, some question marks in the, at cornerback. But, uh, you know, I think the defensive line is better. Linebacking core should be okay. And uh, I think they're in good shape. Well, you, you mentioned the linebackers, and I, I can't help but, like, looking back to the golden ages of this team, which I totally experienced and had the best time ever watching them. But, you know, there's a couple of guys out there right now and all these questions floating around about who would be, uh, you know, the best former Seahawk to sign and, KG Wright has never been with anyone else, but he doesn't have a contract right now. And then some people are speculating about Richard Sherman coming back. Who do you think would be the better one to sign for the Seahawks, depending on what kind of money they can get for him? Yeah, of the two, probably KJ Wright. But again, I went through um, all the contracts that have come in since May 1st, right? And again, this shows you where the market is. Because since May 1st, there's only been six players that got $3 million or more. Right. And we're talking about two offensive linemen, uh, Alejandro Villanueva got seven million dollars a year from Baltimore. And Eric Fisher coming off an Achilles injury got three eight point three million dollars from Indianapolis. OK. And after that, I mean, you had two guys at three point six. That's former Seahawks Sheldon Richardson. He got a one year deal at three point six. I mean, you got Morgan Moses with the Jets at one year, three point six. Uh, and you know everything else is uh, a one-year deal for Brashad Breeland at four million. And so right now, what you're looking at, the market is three million dollars or less. And so you know if KJ or Richard Sherman can accept that from any team, then they'll have a job. If not, they're not going to get much more than that. So the question is, uh, if you're Seattle, and, and again, remember, this is going to be a, uh, a team that's probably going to play more nickel. And so that means a strong side linebacker is not going to be on the field more than like uh, 33% of the time. And so do you want to, along with the fact you have Cody Barton, you can use uh, Daryl Taylor at the strong side linebacker. I mean, you know, it would be great to be able to have KJ and his leadership, particularly too in the first game of the second game of the season when you're playing Derek Henry and, you know, he, he'd be great in being able to stop him. But I think that puts the, uh, you know, it makes it very tough to be able to do that. And so right now, there doesn't seem to be as much movement as you would like to see K.J. right back. But I think that 
they can certainly try to get by with the cornerbacks. I think you know the odds right now are DJ Reader and uh, Akella Weatherspoon being the starters, but you know they still have other options that are there. You know Trey Flowers is still there, big tall cornerback. So I think they're okay. I I would believe they were okay too. I always feel like this uh, this team had a very strong foundation, and I guess I'm wondering too is uh, do you do you still feel like Seattle's the destination it always seems to be because. If I was KJ Wright or, or Richard Sherman, I'd still want to be coming back here, even if it, uh, you know, was a minimal amount of money that changed the difference on the contract. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think that's the case. I think that, uh, you know, it, it's a good destination. Players like it here. Uh, certainly, the locker room is is good. The coaching staff is good, and the big thing is you win. I mean, say what you want; they've only missed one playoff game since Pete Carroll's been the coach, and so it's like uh, you know everybody wants to win. And now it's just a matter of trying to get things over the top and try to get to the Super Bowl. Well, that sounds like a great destination to me, John. I feel like I just got picked up from preschool, dropped off on the bus at high school, and graduated. Thank you, Professor. Hey, Linda, thank you so much. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. And, of course, we are taking your text questions on the Mac and Jack text line. So from the 253, Professor, what happened to Will Disley last year? I thought he was going to be a top-four tight end if he stayed healthy, but he really wasn't a factor. Well, the difference was they weren't throwing to the tight ends. You know, They were throwing to uh, D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, which is understandable. Again, look at Tampa Bay. Did you see Rob Gronkowski getting a lot of catches? Did you see, you know, uh, Cameron Brake getting a lot of catches? No. When you have two great receivers, they tend to get the ball more, and that takes it away from the tight ends. So it's like, uh, you know, nothing went wrong with Will Disley. Plus, uh, Jacob Hollister did such a good job of going in the middle of the field and catching passes. So Disley's fine. It's just a matter of, you know, you, you only have one football. And you can't, you know, satisfy everybody and get all the numbers up for everybody in the uh, on the team. So it's like, uh, it's just, you know, if you got what 200 and 129 targets for uh, Lockett and 120 for uh, DK Metcalf, I mean, how many more are going to be less if you're throwing the ball 33, 34 times a game? From the 425, uh, Professor, uh, do you think the Seahawks still might rework Russell Wilson's contract to get Jamal contract done, Jamal Adams, and possibly K.J. Wright as well? They don't need to do it. I mean, they don't need to do Russell Wilson's contract because right now they got a little less than $8 million under the cap. If you do Jamal Adams' contract, his cap number is coming down. You're saving cap room because, again, you look at the you know what happened you know, with, uh, you know, the different deals with the safeties. I mean, Eddie, Eddie Jackson and, uh, you know, others that, you know, you can, you can take it uh, and get, you know, something done at $5 million on the cap or less, because again, you're giving signing bonus, you're giving a low base salary. And so it's like, uh, and again, I think they're reluctant to do something with Russell Wilson, because I think they're always reluctant to do something with his agent, because he's such a pain to everybody. And, uh, you know, that's just one of the realities from the 206. Is Estrich hurt into the season? If he's hurt in the season, who takes his place? Well, again, it's like uh, you, you still have a couple young receivers that uh, are there. Uh, that you know, they, uh, Freddie Swain would obviously have a chance to take his place. You know, they might be able to figure something out with John or Sua. But also, I mean, I think there's a reality there that I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Gordon comes back if he's going to be reinstated, and he would be a great option to have. In fact, I think in a lot of ways, you know, he can compete against Estridge and at least hold Est- gives Estridge a little more time to be able to learn the offense and be able to be on the field. 
field. So when you when you look at the big equation, I think you know if if they can get Josh Gordon, I think it'd be a great move. I mean, he's going to only count 850 under the cap because he's not going to get any signing bonus. It'll be a minimum salary deal. Uh, and obviously, uh, if you do that type of deal with no guarantees, if, if something doesn't work out, you're not losing anything. It's kind of a win-win type of thing. And I, I think he likes it here. They like him. Okay, so from the 206, if Rashad Penny is productive as Carson, what is his future here? Well, if, he's a, if his production is uh, as good as Carson, then his future is probably going to be someplace else because if you're going to be a 1,000-yard type of runner, which, of course, he's not going to get the opportunity to do that this year, uh, then he can go someplace else because, again, he got 17 games, which gets you an extra chance to get over 1,000 yards. But uh, in the end, Chris Carson's the starting running back. Rashad Penny is most likely the backup running back. And so it's like, but if he if he does well, I mean, how many carries is he going to get? Eight to ten a game? That might be the most. From the 206, is Ethan Posick the long-term answer at center? Well, right now, no, because he's on a one-year deal at $3 million. And so, but I think he can be. I mean, center is his best position. And certainly, you know, he likes it here. They like him. And I think that he can sign some kind of a contract extension if necessary. But also, the real thing, because, you know, Kyle Fuller is the backup. And Kyle Fuller, uh, you know, has the uh, you know ability to, uh, you know, do some decent things. But you know, I still think they still could be looking for a backup center. But uh, long term, too early to tell. We'll see how the season goes. He is a free agent. After the year, it's a one-year deal at $3 million. We'll see how that goes. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Uh, also, text questions on the Mac and Jack's text line at 710-710. Dave Crosby joining us at the bottom of the hour. Let's go to Dre. Dre, how are you? I'm doing great, John. Let me give a shout-out to Gary Hill because <laughs> years ago I told people a long time ago, this guy's a star in the making. I said Gary Hill is a star. Even when, when he was doing when he was, helping, when he was doing the, the Seattle U games with the Graz, I said, Gary Hill, you keep your eye on it. And he filled in for the Mariners a couple times on the radio I, years ago. I said, this guy is a star in the making. You can see when he comes on to your show, his insight, his breakdown of the Mariners. It's in, and not, now a lot of people are coming to me and say, man, you were right about Gary Hill. This guy's amazing. Yes, he, and, Hill. And on top of everything else, I mean, <clears throat> he runs the broadcast. Yes, and behind the scenes, he does even a lot more than what you're just hearing him on the radio. He's behind the scenes, too, doing the engineering stuff. So shout-out to Gary Hill because, man, what he's magical. I know Aaron Goldsmith is the guy there, him and Dave Sims, but Gary Hill, believe me, he does a lot and brings a lot to the table. So I want to give a shout-out to him because I really love what he does and when he's breaking down the Mariners, and I also appreciate what he does behind the scenes mm-hmm. too because he really does a great job. And I think – a lot of people are not, uh, hopefully, are starting to see that now, especially when he comes out to your show and break, breaking down the Mariners. So I want to give a shout-out to him. Let me give a shout-out to the Seattle Mariners also as well. Scott Sterling, I give a first-half first grade about a B-minus. A B-minus because of the Rafael uh, Montero bringing him in throughout those throughout these games, throughout the years. I mean, not that throughout the years, but... This year, blowing, he's got six blown saves, and he came, and Scott Service went to him in critical parts of the game where he blew at least two wins for uh, Kikuchi. 
We should be at eight wins by now. Uh, instead, he's at six and four. You know, he had a he, you know had a bump in the road against the Yankees, but hey, man, uh, yeah, you got you're facing, you know, you're facing Aaron Judge and, and uh, John Carlos Stanton and those big right-handed bats. So I think he was kind of you know uh, throwing a few meatballs down the middle of the plate. But that's that's gonna that's gonna happen throughout the course of the season. So let's not let's not uh, just uh, you know. Uh, just tip your hat off to give credit where credit is due to the Yankees. Uh, they won two out of three. I'm glad we got the shutout. Logan Gilbert reminds me of a, the 1981 first pick in the draft of the Seattle Mariners. His name is Mike Moore, the big Oklahoma yeah. back in the day. And a lot of people don't remember Mike Moore. I know old school people remember Mike Moore, but definitely he's one of those guys that reminds me of hopefully that throwing motion, that awful kind of throwing motion, it'll last. It's not too much wear and tear on that elbow. And another thing that uh, I gave. Scott Service, the B-minus, the, the way he handled the Jared Kelenic situation, John. I don't think Jared Kelenic out the gate should have been batting leadoff. Uh, that's more pressure on him, more extra at-bats on him, and I think you have to hide him out the gate when he's coming up from AAA to where you, he should be in the batting sixth or seventh uh, when he first came up. And I'm pretty sure that's going to happen now, this time when they do call him back up, but still, that's too much pressure on him batting uh, a leadoff out the gate when he got called up the first time. I think that was a big, big mistake. I think it was also a mistake that we went after James Paxton, Paxton instead of Taiwan Walker, who now is an alternate in the All-Star game for the New York Mets at 7-3 with a 2.44 ERA. I, and to me, I think it, it, it just should have been. It just should have been that that option to where it came down to Taiwan Walker or James Paxton. You decide on James Paxton instead of Taiwan Walker, and I think that came back to backfire to where this during this All Star break they're going to have to go and get a pitcher, another Wade LeBlanc type of pitcher because uh, Sheffield is on the, the dis- disabled list for a long time. It looks like it's going to be a while, and now Justin and Justin Dunn won't be back till like a week or ten days after the All Star break. So they're going to have to go get somebody soon because they're going back to a five-man rotation instead of a six and it's going to be a tough schedule towards the end of this month alone you know you get not only you you're playing a six-game series against the angels three now three at right after the all-star break and then you you're facing a lot of heavy dose of the oakland a's and the houston astros this month so they need to get this uh rotation in order five-man rotation in order uh to sustain throughout the second half of the year yeah, I can agree. I can agree with all that. Yeah, so it's like, uh, but again, services. I mean, just done a remarkable job, particularly when you're talking about the injuries for pitchers. You know, losing Kyle Lewis. I mean, you know, having having a, a youth type of team. I mean, he's done really a remarkable job. Yeah, definitely. J.P. Crawford, 22 doubles yeah. already this year. He should be, hopefully, an alternate in the All-Star game. Carlos Correa is not going to be in the All-Star game. He wants to be with his family, along with Altuve of the Astros. So I'm looking for J.P. Crawford to be named to the All-Star team within the next couple of days, I hope now. And also with the Seahawks, John, John I'm feeling, when you guys are talking about running backs, talking about Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, to me, I was thinking about this the other day, John, I don't think both of these guys will be here next year on the team. I don't know I don't know why I'm coming up with that, but I really think that these both of these guys, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, will not be back for the Seattle Seahawks. And their running back that they draft in next year's draft is going to be the future running back and they're going to draft a guy on the free agency at right after the draft and they're going to do a uh, running not running back by committee, but the two maybe running back by committee. But I think their running backs will be next year two new running backs for the Seattle Seahawks. Am I wrong to be thinking that, John? Yeah, I, th- I think you are. I mean, because what? Chris Carson signed a two-year deal. <laughs> 
Has he signed a two-year deal? Yeah, he signed a two-year deal. Yeah, is, it, it's, second, is the option on the second year at all? It's no option. It's a two-year deal at ten point four million. Okay, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm take your money. Your money haul to your deal. Yeah, because uh, again, it's like a. I mean, you know, listen. <clears throat> all their cornerbacks, except for Trey Brown, they're up for free agency, right? right. I mean, you got uh, you know Quandre Diggs and uh, Jamal Adams up for free agency. You know, Ethan Posick's up for free agency. You know, Dwayne Brown's in the next to last year of the contract. I mean, you want to add another position they need. They they might have to replace. No way. I mean, Chris Carson's got a two-year deal. Let him play the two-year deal. Well, uh, well, I, I hope that's the case because we're, we're, we're I'm not. I'm, you say Chris Carson. It's some a lot of times it's more like the ten man for the Wizard of Oz because he's only got he's only playing like twelve or thirteen games, maybe eleven games a year. So they're looking at. I, I well, he's, him signing the two-year deal is definitely it's a surprise to me because of, of his of his health and the way he plays and the way he sits out games, the way he not sits out games, but the way he's injured and the way he takes business decisions like he did towards the end of the year last year. So when you say a two-year deal, we'll wait and see because uh, I, I can't see him coming back for the following next year unless he's healthy and he plays 14 to 15 games this year. I think he'll come back for the following next year. But if he's broken down and only plays like eight games this year, I can't see the Seahawks bringing him back for the following second for the second year of that contract. He'll be back. He'll be back. Well, you know, my chiropractor says every time I walk through the door, you're back. I said, yeah. yes. How did you know? You got it. <laughs> All right, John. You take it easy. You have a great weekend, and uh, I'll talk to you later. All right, sounds good. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Let's go to Todd. Hey, Todd. Hey, John. Yes. All right, great. First time, uh, first time caller, long time listener. Appreciate that. Um, wanna, um, we'll keep it on Seahawks here. I wanted to ask you about Jordan Brooks, and um, looking back on it now, um, you know, I remember seeing clips of him right after they drafted him, and thinking, "Hey, that's Bobby 2.0 right there." Mm-hmm. Um, how much? How you know? How badly do you think they wanted him in that draft? I think they wanted him a lot. I mean, Jordan, you, you're talking Jordan Brooks, right? Yeah, I mean, was he the number one? Do you, do you looking back on it now? Do you think he was the best linebacker in that draft? Mm, can't say that right now, but I think that they liked him a lot. I think you know their ideal was to try to get him in the second round, but they but again, it's like uh, he was the guy that they preferred. And one of the things that John Snyder does, he'll take a guy that they prefer and then hope to see if he can fit in. But uh, no, I think that he looks really good. He's he's got great speed. He's got great instincts. He's got great range. All those different things. Do you see? Uh, do you, what do you see as like kind of the changing of the guard there over the next, like say, uh, two years with Bobby and uh, and Jordan? Well, I mean, again, it's like I don't how, know how many more years for Bobby. I think that uh, he certainly showed last year. He's still one of the best uh, middle linebackers in the league, and that's not changing. So he can probably do it for two or three more years. But, uh, you know, at some point, you've got to try to, you know, make a change there. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be in the near future. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you about baseball, too. Listening to your last caller, uh, um, wondering uh, what's your take on the uh, situation with extensions for DePoto and uh, service? And uh, do, you, do you think it's just an issue with, the, uh, with finding new ma- upper-level management? Uh, what's 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 holding them up? Uh, just I mean, negotiations take <clears throat> take times, and so it's like uh, I mean, both have done such a good job, and this they're, they're I mean, because think about this, 
and we talked to uh, Dave Grosby about this, it usually takes five years to do a rebuild. Here they are, what, in year two of the rebuild or whatever, and they got a winning record. That's pretty good, right? <clears throat> I mean, you know, like, you know, like even, even, I mean, even Jerry Depoto said that this past week, that in the rebuild, Toronto was supposedly a year ahead of uh, sure. Seattle, and right now Seattle has a better record than Toronto. Well, do you figure that without the Mathers situation that that would have been done by now? No. I don't think the Mathers situation played into it one way or another. I think that uh, I don't really get the sense that they're playing that 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 those guys are making decisions to keep their jobs. So it, it kind of feels like like um, they're expecting the deal to get done soon. Yeah, I think they both are. I mean, it's like uh, you know, I, I know uh, it's it's one where uh, they've done so well. How can they not? I mean, you would if if you're the owner of this team and you don't re-sign these two guys then you're betraying the fan base and you're betraying everything else because you're right in the early stages of a rebuild. They're the ones doing the rebuild, and they've re- rebuilt it to the point where they're five games over 500. Yeah, and to me, there's not a more important decision to be made than those two guys right now. Right, agreed. I mean, getting another starting pitcher, that'd be fantastic, but uh, I'd rather see a deal for those guys next week. Mm-hmm, agreed. Hey, John, I really appreciate you taking my call. Then uh, I'm always listening to you on Saturday, and I'm yeah. usually not awake. I'm usually listening to you on the podcast. So, oh, great. Uh, yeah, I'll try to. I'll, I'd love to become a regular. Okay. Hey, Todd, it. thank you so much. <laughs> you too. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Our weekly dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby coming up next. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. It is time for our weekly dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. And so, David, it's, it's amazing how <clears throat> things change. I remember, what, six weeks ago, a month ago, two months ago, everybody was calling for Scott's service to be fired, get rid of Jerry Depoto. Now it's a matter is now people are saying, well, how, how come it's taking so long to get them extensions? It's like how things change. Yeah, they can do it. You can get it done on the field. You can change people's attitudes in a big way. And having a dramatic night like last night certainly helps. It was it was all of those things. Yeah, and of course, that's the, that's the amazing part of what Scott Service has been able to do is he's got this team mentally to the point where in close games, they believe they can win. <clears throat> they win. They've got one of the best records in uh, extra inning games. Uh, day games, they do well. I mean... One-run games. One-run games, all those different things. I mean, what is it that Scott's done with this young team that's uh, got them winning like this? Well, he's put guys in a position for good things to happen. I mean, that, that's that's the bottom line here. That's the players that, that ultimately got to get it done and, and have been getting it done. And, and it's the manager's job is to put them in that spot. You know, I'll never forget when I was covering the Mariners uh, back in that, that uh, in infamous 95 season. And talking to Lou Pinella with about six weeks to go in the season, saying, I guess now's the time where, where a manager really kind of shines going down the stretch. And he looked at me and said, son, it's all up to the ball players now. I've told them all I can. And so I always remember that, that it, you know, at the end of the day, managers know that it's up to the players. And, and this, is, this is credit for the players for, for getting done what they've had to get done. And, and you know, guys have risen to the occasion uh, consistently. And, you know, they, they've kind of thrown out the refuse to lose thing. They're down 3 nothing in that game last night. They've given up one of the epic home runs that, that they'd ever seen at, uh, at, at that ballpark. And, and they've rallied back from 3 nothing and uh, wind up winning it with a, with a hand grand slam. So, you know, they, they found a way to win this year. They're, they're five games over 500. And, you know, in an interesting stretch, John, as I've talked about with, with others and with you in the past, 
you know, here, here it is. You got, you got uh, two more games with the Angels here. You play them three times to start the second half of the season. You play Colorado twice, then four with Oakland, three with Houston. That's the, the last thing with Houston is July 28th, three days before the trade deadline. You got to know what, what situation you're in by then. So it's a, it's a very important part of the schedule right now. Remember, the Angels were coming at them. You know, the Angels had, a, had won eight of 10 and, and were playing well, and they get Mike Trout back, so they're going to be playing well. But uh, that, was, that was just a big win for the Mariners last night, despite the, the tremendous home run by Otani. I mean, Otani's unbelievable, isn't he? He's beyond beyond pale, John. There's never been anyone like him. Um, you know, we compare him to Babe Ruth, and you know, you run out stuff like this. I mean, Otani um, has hit 32 home runs, leads the league in homers. His, um, I think it's his fork ball, his cutter uh, is the best pitch, is the toughest pitch to hit in baseball according to the metrics. He's averaging 11.7 strikeouts per nine innings. He's hit 32 home runs. He's also stolen 12 bases. Had four bunt hits, um, you know. He, he's he's doing things that Babe Ruth wasn't doing. He's on pace to to you know when when Ruth had those years when he was pitching and hitting John. You know the last two years with Boston and the first year or so with New York, he, he had thirty starts total. Otani's on pace for twenty five starts this year. So what he is doing is unprecedented, has never been seen before. And then you know it's not just he's he's hitting home runs that are dropping into the stands. He went where only five guys have ever gone before at that Safeco Field last night to that upper deck and right field. So uh, we're seeing something that no one has ever seen before and likely not to see again. And what is it? He's got like uh, 17, 16 home runs in the last like 23 games. Right. I think it's I think it's, I think it's 16 and 21, actually. And he's, okay, yeah. he's one of only five players to have done that. So it's... Uh, he, he is he is something to see, and you know the, this All Star Weekend is going to be a celebration of him. Uh-huh. He's in the he's in which is right. He's in the home run derby. He's going to pitch. He's going to hit, and baseball needs to get off its stuff and and start really really marketing this guy. You know, lean into the fact that he's an international star. I mean, it's uh, it's got all the, all the ingredients you need to get a fan base, get a young fan base galvanized, and and you got you got the home run derby in all places, Colorado. Uh, the ball's going to travel forever there, so uh, it's going to be awfully, awfully exciting. Yeah, I think the one thing I'm, I'm kind of amazed at because I was looking at the attendance uh, yesterday, yesterday, and what amazes me is even though the stadiums are open right now, I mean you have so many, so few places that are drawing crowds. I mean, I know last night they were able to get twenty thousand for the game, which was the highest they've had this year. But the Mariners, even with the Yankees, had like seventeen thousand, sixteen thousand, and then you look around and you see very few teams getting twenty thousand at games part of it is covid but part of it is look what we've talked about baseball is you know failure to market itself and and failure to really you know get people clued in and tuned in now we'll see if this changes in the second half especially in places where teams are going particularly well you know out here i mean you're talking about like houston and and um you're certainly talking about boston back east who's having a, a renaissance year and you know the giants are having a great year out of the blue uh, the Dodgers are competing, so they should be there. You know, we we know certain places where they're winning. It doesn't matter, like Tampa mm-hmm. and Oakland. You know, those are franchises that don't draw fans, whether they win or lose. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cut them a little break and say it's it's part of the reopening and the COVID thing, and and see if it picks up some in the second half. But but it's not it's not terribly surprising to me that that's the circumstance. What what is it about uh, Rob Manfred and uh, baseball that they just can't figure things out? I think I think we blame Rob Manfred probably too much. I think he's got a he's, he needs someone to come in there and independently audit his staff. I mean, 
the the remember the the, the Mariner pitcher uh, who got uh, who got nailed? Uh, what was that? Three weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two weeks ago. That hearing is next week. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Why why did it take so long, John? What's the point in it taking that long? There's no need for it. So. Uh, you know, I think they, they implement things without thinking. You know, I think Manfred has some good ideas, and I've seen him on the field. I think it's a good idea the way they've changed the extra innings and had a runner at second base. I know purists don't like it, but I do. I think that that adds excitement to the game. So, you know, he can't be he can't do everything, and he's made plenty of mistakes. You know, letting Houston off and 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 things like that. But it, it's it's got to be a top to bottom problem in in, in the organization of, of major leagues and and you know before Otani there was Mike Trout who by the way is his teammate and uh, they weren't promoting well either so you know I understand that baseball is a regional sport you know this is something that Alombre always makes the point out of but you know we know here it doesn't matter where you are when Ken Griffey was here in his heyday he was nationally known. They did national ads for him. He was baseball's biggest star, and he was playing in a, in a lousy, rotten, tiny market. Sorry, Seattle, that's what we were in the 90s. So it, it's not that. It's just they're, they're not doing the promotion. And, and for a last little point on Otani, he's playing in L.A. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I don't know. But uh, uh, the, the show has been very good, and it, it's fun to watch him here this weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, it was encouraging. They did get up to 20,000 on uh, last night. Don't know where it stands for tonight and tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the way this team is, I mean, did you ever think that this team at this point of the year could be five games over 500? Well, especially, John, if I told you that Paxton was going to throw 20 pitches and be out for the year. Marco Gonzalez was going to be one in five with an ERA over five, you know, and Kyle Lewis, who was the MV, it was the rookie of the year last year, was going to play like five games. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no way in a million years you would have said, oh, well, that'll be five games over 500. No. So, you know, you couldn't have seen it coming. And then they're doing it with, with exciting young players. I felt bad for J.P. Crawford that he wasn't named a replacement, but that's uh, that's that's tough. That's something that he can use moving forward. And and look, they're going to add they're going to add Lewis in the second half of the season. They're certainly going to add Kellenick in the second half of the season, and I think he's going to be much much better the second time around. He, he's gotten it looks like he's gotten himself squared away down there in the minors, and that's going to be a boost for this club. So you know, I really do think you know the, starting the week of July twenty second, four with Oakland, three with Houston, here here at uh, Safeco Field. You know, win four or five of those games, and, and you got to be very seriously considering adding to your team for the stretch run. When do you think that uh, Scott Service and uh, Jerry DePoto are going to get contract extensions? Well, I think the, the, the way it should work, in my opinion, is you give DePoto the extension, and then he decides what he wants to do with the manager, which is fait accompli. I mean, uh, Service is his guy, but you brought in DePoto to fix your farm system first and foremost. And by every metric, that's what he's done. By every every standard, that's what he's done. You know, the Mariners have a highly rated farm system. Their young players are playing at the major league level. Uh, I think you know the time is probably now uh, to 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 extend Depoto and then let him. You know, he's your GM. Give him the the option to, to decide on the manager. And I don't have any doubt that he was going to he would extend Scott Service. So that's how I go about it, John. I'd, I'd extend Depoto first and let him make the choice. Where do you stand on Napoto trying to pick up somebody at the trade deadline? Like I said, talk to me on the 28th. Talk to me after those seven games with Oakland and Houston. And, you know, if they are where they are right now, which is, you know, no one between them and the wild card, just chasing just two or three games out and seven or eight games over 500, I see. I think you've got to try and add 
pitching. You know, you got bats coming up in your in your minor league system, like we mentioned. I didn't even talk about Cal Raleigh, who's another guy who may come up. You need you need to add some pitching, and I think if they're in contention, uh, what is that? Three weeks from today, two weeks from today, uh, you should make some moves. Yeah, no, I would, I would tend to agree with that, and definitely do not do not trade Cal Seager or Mitch Haniger. Correct. <clears throat> Well, if you're going to go for it this year, no, you know, you're not going to do that. You know, that's the thing about making deadline deals. You know, when you trade for, for a pitcher with, with a month left in his contract, you're not trading prime cuts. You're trading low minor league players. So they've got plenty of those in the organization that they can spare at this point. And that's all you need to add some pitching. And, and look, they just, you know, you know, another thing, fingers crossed, didn't show, didn't happen last night, though. He did settle down. If you'd like to see Marco Gonzalez just be mm-hmm. the pitcher he was. Pitcher he's been his whole career except for this year, and if it's an injury that's preventing him from doing it, it's not going to happen. But uh, back to what I said, I, you don't have to give up a whole lot to get a to get a reasonable arm at the deadline. No doubt about it. But, <clears throat> yeah, it should be interesting to see how the rest of the series goes and then into the All Star break, and uh, we'll see if baseball can promote itself during the All Star break uh, and see if they can get it right. Yeah, it, <clears throat> well, you know, it's going to be. The All-Star game is, is, is good. Baseball's got the best one, in my opinion. They always have. I think the Home Run Derby, you know, regained its cachet with Aaron Judge, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and guys like that going in. I think it is, it is going to be headlines all over the place with Otani in it and in Colorado. You're wondering if he can hit one 600 feet. I mean, it's going to be, I, I'm going to predict right now for you, John, it's going to be the highest rated All-Star Home Run Derby ever. Might be the highest-rated All-Star game ever, and that's uh, that's something that can give you a little momentum going into that second half. That'll be good. What's on the uh, agenda for the Gras this weekend? Just watching like everyone else, man. Watching the watching the show. It's going on at the safe, and and um, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun watching this team play the first half of the season. That's for sure. It really has, and that's our weekly dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. Dave, have yourself a great weekend. John, you too. We'll talk again next week. All right, sounds good. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. And our thanks to DJ Wilder, who did a great job filling in for Matt Nelson, producing the show and running the show. DJ, thank you so much. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Wheat in Tacoma. Hey, Wheat. Hey, Johnny, man. I was watching. I can't remember what it was. Uh, Oh, gosh, a football life. But, John, you got to tell me about this game, man. It was Raiders Steelers, I think, around 1974, and it was all ice on the field. John, you got to tell me about that game. I've only seen it on TV. Did you live that? Were you there? Yeah, I was there. I was was there. Yeah, yeah. John, John, oh my goodness gracious, I could not believe that field, John. Yeah, I mean, it was it was frozen. I know. I was like, I I don't know the man alive. I and they were putting all this. They were trying all these different things to get the ice. I. And they played on that, John. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because it's an artificial artificial turf, and uh, uh, it was just absolutely frozen. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you have games like that. I still remember going to the Green Bay New York Giant game in the NFC Championship game, and it was like you know minus thirteen degrees. But you're going to find that sometimes. It was so weird. Is that two years before that, you know, covering that uh, you know Miami uh, Pittsburgh game that uh, Miami ended up winning. Uh, it was like 72 degrees in uh, in Pittsburgh on January or on uh, December 31st. 
It was right at the end of December. So it's like in Pittsburgh, like anything else, you have hot days, you have cold days, but uh, you know normally you're going to have some frozen stuff, and that just is one of the beauties of uh, you know watching football at the end of the season because particularly in the east coast and the midwest and all that stuff you never know what you're going to see you know i think thinking now i just remember john because i know with oh i don't know how to say it like people I, I don't know announcers i guess i don't know maybe they don't like to say rivalries maybe that's really only on the fans and that's okay because i was watching now that i think about it, it was the raiders steelers they were they were back then they were battling each other big time Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Now that I, those hits that uh, Mr. Hayes and Jack Tatum did on Lynn Swan, oh man, that, oh, man, that that Raiders team. Well, remember, I mean, and, 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 and of course, the Raider offensive linemen, you know, they put casts on their hands so oh, that they could, uh, you know, do physical the physical damage to the defensive linemen. Oh now I know I couldn't believe. Oh man, I just. Uh... I now remember more. Oh my goodness! I I didn't know they showed all that. Oh yeah, and then, yeah, just just wrap all this around your. I can't. Or just something else. The sands of time when they, when they can't do that. No, I, you know, uh, that's what I was thinking about. So I'm like, oh my goodness! I just some of those little tricks of the trade. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Man, oh, I cannot believe once. That's why it was. I mean, how, how about me? You know, starting at uh, 1972, 17 years old, and then uh, you know, seeing the beginning of that Steeler uh, Raider rivalry, and just how oh, good it man, became. I, I know. I know. That's what. Now that I remember, I was watching that on ESPN, and they were showing that, and but yeah, we we hated them. They hated us, and hey, we, they're in our way, and we want to win in any way possible, and. That that was one heck of a rivalry, John. So I, that's what I was watching and everything. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I I could not believe them. You know, I was watching them walk on that ice, and I'm like, oh my, I'm surprised. Like more people don't get injured and stuff like that. That's all I was thinking about. But it seems yeah. like overall that really no one got too seriously hurt, John. So. All right, John, thanks a lot. Thank right. you. Thanks. Have a nice weekend. We thank you. Let's wrap it up with Steve in Burien. Hey, Steve. Hey, John. Those were the days when they actually really played football. Mm-hmm. Um, can, you imagine, can you imagine today's players having to play in those conditions and not having the heated seats, not having all the extra padding and the cushioning? And those guys are out there in just jerseys. And pads, and that's it. Yeah, I know. And then, and the and the crazy part is, it's not like they, uh, you know, had deep, uh, you know, nickel defenses and all the different defenses. I mean, you know, it's pretty much, you know, you you have, you go with the eleven starters on defense, and they stay out there the entire game. Oh yeah, and you know, like I said, I couldn't imagine seeing today's players try and play those games in those conditions. They couldn't handle it. They wouldn't be able to stand up to it. Yeah, and and that's like the. I mean, you can you can say right now the athletes are in much better shape because I mean they train year round. They didn't do that back in the seventies. They're not tough. Mm -hmm. They're not. I mean, better. They're better athletes. Yes, but they're not tough because those guys back then were paying playing for paychecks. Yeah, they didn't have the big contracts. And when you were going to the playoffs in the Super Bowl, that was what an extra thirty five fifty thousand dollars to you. So. Yeah, these guys, they actually worked, believe it or not, crowd out there. The players actually had to work a second job during the offseason to get by. 
Yeah, I still remember one time uh, you know, talking to Terry Bradshaw, and uh, Terry says, hey, the best salary I ever got, and he was one of the highest paid in the league, was $350,000 a year. Now, Think I about that. Question for you. I got a question for you, John. Yeah. Um, I, I just recently heard about this. The NFL plays uh, retired, pays retired black players uh, less than white players because what I heard was they they feel they say that black players have less cognitive ability than white players to begin with, so that what they lose isn't that much compared to white players. Yeah, well, is that's, the NFL uh, actually doing is that NFL actually doing that, and why isn't somebody out? talking about that because that's disgusting if it's true it, oh it, i mean it's i can't remember what they call it but uh you know they did have that in there and i think that was some of the settlement stuff on on all that uh you know but uh, that's i mean the fact that it came out i think now it gets it fixed because you cannot do that i mean you've got to have no, equal pay it's not just that it's they got to come up and pay the players that yeah. they didn't pay and the whole idea who in their right mind would think this way that Black players have less cognitive ability to begin with than mm-hmm. white players. They're saying white players are smarter than black players, which goes back to black players can't be quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, this is the NFL should be held accountable for this. This should be front page news yeah, yeah. that this is going on, and nobody's talking about it. And I find it disgusting. Well, that's why I think it gets fixed because again, it's wrong. And if that's you know how how they're doing it, we don't know. But it's like uh, it's got to be fixed. Hey, Steve, got to run here. And again, I thank everybody. And of course, be back next Saturday from eight until eleven. The John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.